All right, welcome into another edition of Negative War Positive Vibes. It's been a little while. We have been busy here with the postseason. It has been a great postseason, and the World Series is now set. And here we go, uh, Spilly. The Arizona Diamondbacks beating the Philadelphia Phillies, the Texas Rangers taking on and beating the Houston Astros. Both of those series go seven games. The championship series across the board provided so much more drama than what we saw in the wild card, what we saw in the division series. None of those series were particularly close. These two in particular were amazing, but we're going to start in what we saw last night, and that was the Arizona Diamondbacks taking games six and seven, finishing off the Philadelphia Phillies. An absolute shocker for me, quite honestly. I mean, it just felt like the Philadelphia Phillies were a team of destiny. We talked so much about the fan base. Of course, they lost in the World Series last year, the environment at the bank, all of it. Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, Bryce Harper, Schwarber, Trey Turner was just feeling like Nick Castellanos at one point having a really nice postseason. And it just felt like they were headed there. And the Arizona Diamondbacks had a lot to say about it. And shockingly, they go back to Philly when the last two games they are headed uh, to the World Series. An incredible series all the way around. A lot going on uh, throughout this one, Billy. But how about Tori Lovello? and the Arizona Diamondbacks go into the World Series. Incredible. Oh, my God. It's so fun. It's it's so, so much fun because, first off, the West of baseball, this this is like, this is intended to be for those East Coasters. Look, the National League West has been real for a long time, and so is the American League West. And so we we get, like, the, the Atlanta Braves, they won the World Series in 2021, you get the National League East to show up for the World Series last year. Philadelphia Phillies, so much fun, so much talent. It's a it's a really good team. The fan base, all of it. But it was like they were so shocked that a National League West team like the Arizona Diamondbacks could possibly, in the realm of of baseball, beat an East team with Bryce yeah. Harper and Trey Turner and Kyle Schwartz. Like how? How is that even possible? And and CJ, you and I, we've spoken to Tori Lovello. You know how much I love the Diamondbacks. I've been saying this for years. They remind me of a top college baseball program where it's the little things. And, and for me, I grew up playing in the Big West. So I was a you know, Cal State Fullerton, Long Beach State, UC Santa Barbara. Like these are teams that, that would just do small things to beat you. Run the bases well, pitch well, play good defense. And that's exactly what the Diamondbacks did. That's yeah. Exactly what the Diamondbacks did. They 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 keep you in games. You think about their pitching staff from Gallon to Merrill Kelly to Brandon Fott. Um, I love the fact that Chris Russo should retire after talking <laughs> trash about the Diamondbacks. But as much as the the Phillies kind of took, you know, offense to certain things that happened this postseason, for example, Bryce Harper getting mad at Orlando Arcia for out of boy Harper. Yeah, you could tell from from Tori Lovello, and I know he got mad about Garrett Stubbs saying he's going to beeline to the to the pool. The the Diamondbacks, in a quiet way, they knew what they were capable of. They're as athletic of a team, position player team in Major League Baseball. They don't mess up. They didn't strike out. There is a point where both the Rangers and the Diamondbacks were in first place at the same time. The Diamondbacks had spent over 60 days in first place of the National League West, which mm-hmm. the Dodgers have owned. So it, it to me, it, it's like, I love it because it, it's it's kind of that, 
like get, pay attention to the rest of the league. Don't be caught in your little National League East bubble, your your East Coast bias bubble. There are some teams that are in different time zones that that may not have the same fan base as yours, but are really damn good. And and ultimately, CJ, you know, when we talk about both the Rangers and and this Diamondbacks team, their general managers and the moves that they've made. Uh, Toronto and Arizona made a made a trade in the offseason for Dalton Varsho with say Yuli Gurriel and Gabby Moreno to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Phenomenal mm-hmm. trade. Unbelievable trade from the Diamondbacks standpoint. Uh, Varsho is good with Toronto. You trade Rojas, Josh Rojas, and Canzone to the Seattle Mariners, and you get a you get an actual closer, which was the which was the big problem for the Diamondbacks. Mm-hmm. And so they they quietly went about their business. They didn't get much fanfare, and they made a team that was better than yours, without without you know all ringing the sound alarms and all this stuff. So, uh, I I am so excited for Arizona. I, I'm so excited for for Texas. I love how they fought back. Uh, I love Tori Lovello, the story of Mike Hayes and losing his wife two years ago and, and what he's been able to go through and overcome. Uh, it's a really cool time for the Diamondbacks, and it's a cool time to just kind of showcase how West Coast baseball in this major league market still continues to get overlooked. Yeah, I think it's it's fair, and that's the reaction and kind of what you were talking about. There was some discussion on social media this morning. Nate Silver, uh, who, of course, was known, first of all, as a guy who uh, covered politics and handicapping and uh, has certainly become very popular uh, over the years because of it, uh, talking about this uh, World Series and how it's not going to be an engaging World Series. It's not going to be a World Series uh, that is going to be very compelling and ratings are not going to be very good, which is weird to me because we don't do that in any other sport, right? When we watch the NCAA tournament, what did we see last year? The highest seed was a four in the final four, a couple of fives and a nine. Like we get excited about upsets in the NCAA tournament, really excited about them. The same thing when it comes to, I believe, the NBA or the NFL, but something about baseball that takes a hit when some smaller market teams are the, you know, just whatever the teams that don't have the biggest stars. And the Rangers have a ton of stars. And we know with the Diamondbacks, they have a couple of really emerging stars and names that we all know. It's like it's a bad thing for the game. It's not a bad thing for the game. You can be a great team for six months. You got to go prove it in the postseason. You got to go prove it. In the postseason, you do not get a pass for having a great regular season if you can't win. We saw some really good teams have a real issue with keeping their starting pitching healthy. The Atlanta Braves, the Los Angeles Dodgers, the Yankees didn't get in because their starting pitching wasn't healthy. That's just the kind of the way that it goes. And so I don't pay too much attention to that or get too worked up about it. Now, as far as the actual games go, I thought this this fascinated me. Spilly, with everything that we talk about with the Diamondbacks, we know they're a very athletic team. The first five games of this series, they had one stolen base attempt, and they were one for one. And Tori Lovello said before game six, which shocked me, quite honestly, we are going to be more aggressive on the base pass. I was like, why is he telling everybody? Like, yeah, we've been waiting, but why is he announcing it? And sure as could be, eight for eight for the next two games in stolen base attempts, four in each game. And it made a huge difference. And now it's JT Rilamuto. I get it. He's a great thrower. There's a lot of, you know, it could be a challenge. Then not only did they steal those bases, I mean, they stole them pretty easily. JT Rilamuto was throwing off of his knees because of the jumps that these guys were getting. That one stuck out to me in particular with the Diamondbacks that, you know, they nearly lost this series not using one of their greatest assets 
and that is their speed. And then I, I listen, they're really smart baseball people. I get it, but that just caught me off guard. It's almost like, oh yeah, you know what? We need to start figuring out how to steal bases again. That's going to matter. They did it in game six and seven. I think they put a lot of pressure on the Philadelphia Phillies. What do you make of them kind of going quiet from a running standpoint, games one through five, and all of a sudden, hey, we're going to turn it on for game six and seven? Yeah, I, I thought it was uh, it was strange to see them not do it. They were second in baseball. It's stolen bases on the course of the year. They also had one of the highest stolen base uh, attempt percentage. So they, they were like one of the most successful teams in baseball stealing bases. There's a, so much athleticism and then what it does to a pitching staff and defense when you put that additional pressure. And then I, I didn't, you know, like I, I don't think the Philadelphia Phillies have the greatest infield defense on the face of the planet, even though Bryson Stott uh, is a gold glove candidate. You know, you have Bryce Harper at first. That's not his natural position. Bohm has, has certainly improved. Trey Turner was was um, pretty inconsistent over the course of the year. So I liked it. And then I, I do think, you know, to disrupting pitchers timing, Nola Wheeler. Um, and, and last night in game seven, Corbin Carroll was stealing off a lefty, right? Like Ranger Suarez. So they were stealing and he goes back. I think Dave McKay, the first base coach for the Arizona Diamondbacks, is the best first base coach in baseball. He is so good. And there's been years where, you know, Paul Goldschmidt has talked about it. A.J. Pollock's talked about it, about how he helped them steal more bags. Because he would come up and he'd almost like press you on the side. And and there was funny. It was funny. He came back from uh, from break. And uh, you could see Dave McKay standing at first base with Corbin Carroll and Dave McKay walks right up to Corbin Carroll and pushes him on the side. This was after a pitching change and, and Jeff Hoffman's on the mound. And go back and watch it. Go back and watch it. You'll see McKay gives him a little press first pitch gone. Like McKay was giving him a little indicator. Like just go. Uh, so I love, I love aggressive base running. I love it when you have athletes that are capable of stealing bases and it wasn't just Corbin Carroll. I mean, we saw Yuli Gurriel. We saw so many different guys um, stealing bases. And and it's important. And, and yeah. we'll see what ends up happening because the Rangers don't steal bases. They were 27th mm-hmm. in baseball and stolen bases. I'm, I'm wondering how the Diamondbacks will use it in the World Series. It also goes, I mean, we know outs are important and base runners are even more valuable during the postseason. So I can understand being shy to run the risk of having somebody thrown out. But it, it to me, it creates so much more havoc to be able to push and use those those guys. I I, I got to ask you a couple of things because um, one of the things that I was watching and I've been watching in the last two series was managerial moves. Mm-hmm. Um, Dusty was outmaneuvered by Bruce Bochy. Last night's game, I felt like Rob Thompson was outmaneuvered by Tori Lovello. And a couple times it stood out was we heard that, they, you know, there was a chance that Corbin Carroll wouldn't face Ranger Suarez the second time through. Well, they actually face him a third time. And like you had first base open. You were wondering if they were going to with a runner at second base on a stolen base. If, if Rob Thompson was going to choose to pitch to Corbin Carroll, which felt like that's what Tori wanted you to do, mm-hmm. was to pitch to Corbin Carroll. Um, I just like that we have some strategy involved where the stolen base and hot hitters and left-on-left matchups become a conversation versus saying, hey, there's no more strategy involved with universal DH and all this stuff. So I, yeah. I, I think some things stood out 
in both series where free bases were open and managers elected to pitch to guys and then they got burned. Yeah, or see how it goes first, right? The idea of let's pitch around him, see if we can get him to chase and get ourselves in a favorable count. It happened, you mentioned, in that Rangers series with Jordan Alvarez, and when they fell behind, they just put him on, regardless kind of of the situation for the most part, uh, and trying to pick your spots and when to do that. You're 100% right on strategy as much as people had complained about that with Universal DH. There was so much involved uh, when it comes to watching your pitching, picking your spots, going back to game six, Merrill Kelly wanted to stay in after five innings and pitching really well and going through the middle of the order. It was 90 pitches. He was pretty heated about it, but at the end of the day, he gets it. You also have now with the three batter minimum. I know it's been a few years, but that is really big. Now bringing in guys in certain situations, especially come postseason time and taking some chances, you build your bullpen accordingly uh, to those rules, but there's still opportunities where you have to make some very difficult uh, decisions. So the idea that managerial instincts are gone, I, I wouldn't, I couldn't disagree with it more uh, than I do. And you're right. And it was interesting to see that, especially there's two things with Corbin Carroll that stuck out to me. And I talked about it before game seven. Uh, on the radio with Jensen Lewis on MLB Network Radio on our regular show, Loud Outs, 2 to 5 uh, Easter time. And that was, man, what's going on with Corbin Carroll? Like, how do we get him out of his shell? There's some bad base running going on by the Diamondbacks across the board. He just looked a little tentative, especially on a base running play. We didn't see him swinging the bat particularly well. He turned it on in a really big way uh, in this game. And you mentioned, you know, where they have him, they bat him second when there's a left-handed starter. He'll lead off when there's a right-handed starter. But a three-for-five day for him. Yesterday, we saw him a lot more aggressive on the base pass the last two days, and we saw that better version of Corbin Carroll. And that's bad news for the Rangers. You don't want him too comfortable now going into a World Series. But I think it's a fair point. There was definitely some strategy moments here where Torrey Lavello was was pretty resolute in his decisions and stuck with them and really didn't waver for the most part. And it seemed like perhaps for the Philadelphia Phillies, maybe not wanting to get into that bullpen too early. I don't know. Ranger Suarez, I like him a lot. He's an easy guy to like. He's ultra competitive. He ended up taking the loss because he gave up the three runs, but he still pitched um, pretty well. But what Brandon fought, uh, there again, they were convicted. Four innings, two runs, seven punch outs, kind of rolling pretty well. Only 64 pitches. He's out of the game. They used five relievers uh, to finish off the Philadelphia Phillies. It was a good one. You kind of teased the idea and the thought of uh, kind of some of the national conversation surrounding the Arizona Diamondbacks. A guy that we absolutely love, but also love to make fun of and give a hard time is Christopher Mad Dog Russo, who prior to game six had said, you know what? I underestimated these Arizona Diamondbacks. With that being said, if they win these next two games, I will retire. If they win games six and seven in Philadelphia, I will retire. How big of a deal did this become? They talked about it. Tori Lavello talked about it. He said, I'd love to see a wise guy in New Yorker have to retire uh, because we go and beat uh, the Philadelphia Phillies. It had come up in a pretty big way. The Arizona Diamondbacks delivered, and then we find out, Spilly, that Christopher Mad Dog Russo does not. He will not retire after saying that he would. What do you make of this whole uh, situation? I'm I'm a little discouraged, quite honestly. Uh, they were even calling him out in their postgame celebration in Philadelphia oh, yeah. where the Diamondbacks. Like, it was a fun thing. I like it. And, you know, and he seems to have run with it. I thought, to be quite honest with you, I thought there was a chance he may be getting close to retirement anyway, and he was going to use this as kind of a shtick and say, you know what, if it happens, and I'll announce it now. If not, it'll be down the road. Sounds like that's not the case. He's had some fun with it. Uh, the worst part for me was yesterday before Game 7, tweeted out the video of him talking about it prior to Game 7 and said, I stand by my promise with an exclamation point. Apparently not. Yeah, and and there's a little more context. I mean, he was on that Howard Stern show, and they came up with a a um, 
you know, like to pay his debt. Cause I mean, his mouth was writing checks. His body couldn't cash. <laughs> uh, I just thought it was like, if you're going to say that, which first off is bulleted board material uh, for, for a team, like the, you really think we're going to come. And I, and I loved how Tori Lovella said, we're not flying across country to get our ass kicked. Love that. <laughs> like yeah. It was so good. Put it on a shirt. Uh, but, you know, for Russo to go, and again, it, it, to me, it shows his bias. It shows his bias. Hey, Philly's the better team. Uh, the Diamondbacks, you know, they, they you know, they, they didn't even, they, they were middle of the road the whole year. Think about the path that the, the Diamondbacks had to get through. Like, I actually consider it. Beat the Brewers in Milwaukee. Take down the Dodgers, where they, it was a house of horrors. They go to Dodgers Stadium, and they took the first two. They swept the Dodgers, and now they just beat the Philadelphia Phillies, and yeah. we're gonna act like and we're gonna act like they're not a good team. And they went on the road. They went on the road and beat these teams that were, like I thought the Brewers had a chance to make a a pretty healthy run. Uh, and I thought the Brewers and the Diamondbacks were pretty similar, and and for the Diamondbacks to go about and just knock team after team and good teams. We're not talking about like. We're not talking about not good. We're talking about good, possibly great teams. Knock them out. And then for Russo to say, I'll I'll retire. And then the best case you're going to give us is a Diamondbacks bikini. And then walk down New York streets with a sign that says I'm a D-bag. Come on. That's I I don't want that. I mean, if you're really going to say that, I mean, I don't know. I'm not calling for his head. But no. you can't, you can't do that. I mean, if you really, I mean, like you can't offer retirement, you know, basically exclaiming that the Phillies were going to beat this Diamondbacks team. Cause out of the, out of the dark recesses of your mind, you would never have imagined this Philadelphia Philly team losing to the lowly Diamondbacks. So that that's to me as like a former player, yeah. that's offensive. That's offensive. You're willing to risk your career because you think that we're garbage and you think the Phillies are better. And then Philly, to and then to yeah. back out of it. And it's like me promising you a 24 ounce ribeye and giving you a piece of beef jerky instead. I mean, it's just no bueno. Uh, I, I'm disappointed because if you're going to take those kind of chances in media, you have to back it up, right? I mean, especially, and he's a legend. We give him a hard time. I give him a really hard time with Marcus Simeon and Framber Valdez earlier this year. He deserved it. I'd stand by it. Doesn't mean I don't like him personally. I admire him. Uh, you know, listen, him and and uh, and Francesca, I mean, they they got this whole thing rolling in a really big way as far as sports talk radio years ago. And I was a kid growing up in that area uh, in New York, and he's a legend. Uh, but man, that is really disappointing that he didn't go through with it somehow, some way, because those are big words and you can't have big words if you're not willing uh, to back them up. So we get beef jerky instead of the big ribeye. And so it goes. All right, let's flip over to the other side here in the American League. And one little side note that I just noticed that um, picked up on from a, a Dave Raymond tweet was the fact that um, the Texas Rangers win game seven. They are going to the World Series. Bruce Bochy now will get to manage the All-Star game next year in Arlington. That is actually really cool. I kind of forgot about that little uh, side note. He mentioned that um, today. But how about uh, now, all of a sudden, the Rangers? That was a great series. Uh, the Adolis Garcia series. I think these are highlights we're going to see for a long time. After the home runs, after the hit by pitch, a home run after that, thought he hit another one and watched it. Uh, some of that, um, some of those uh, things, you know, it, you, you appreciate the emotion. Sometimes it can get in the way. It happens. It was an amazing series. Obviously, I'm close to this one in particular, calling games 
for the Rangers, but uh, what a wild ride it was. A seven-game series where a home team did not win, win a single game, uh, which is incredible um, to see Spilly. Uh, but the Texas Rangers take down the Houston Astros. Uh, you were there. Uh, you're going to be there for the World Series as well, calling the international feed on TV. Um, and you got a lot of Texas in your life right now, my friend. Um, but what did you make? You saw it all firsthand. You heard the crowds. Uh, what's your kind of big picture take on uh, what turned out to be a really great series? It was a phenomenal series, and the the Rangers earned it. I mean, the, the Astros, man, it's, I I tip my Bucky's cap to the Astros because they, you know, that, that's that's a. I mean, they're they're a champion. They're they're champions. <laughs> like they are so good. Uh, I think what what ended up happening with the Astros, I mean, the bottom of the lineup was MIA. Kyle Tucker was MIA. I think he was, man, he was a mess. He was exhausted. I, I yeah. mean, like Kyle Tucker's swing and. I love Kyle Tucker. He has been a player I've admired because he's, you know, 25 stolen base, 25 homer guy. He's a top 20 position player in Major League Baseball defensively. He looked, he looked exhausted. Yeah. I, I mean, it was, it was like if you go and, you know, we like doing this. If, if you're to go around the horn, if you're to go around the field, you know, like Adolis versus Kyle Tucker. You know, before the series would have started, I would said I'll take Hal Tucker over Adolis. Yeah, Hal Tucker was like I actually thought Game Seven I wasn't going to start him in my mind. I was going to play Chaz McCormick and Mauricio Dubon, but Tucker was was spent. Jeremy Pena was spent, played great defense, but was spent, and it just came down to it was it was basically the Altuve Bregman Alvarez show with a sprinkle of Mauricio Dubon. Mm-hmm. And, and that was just too much. And the Rangers pitched exceptionally well. Uh, they, they was It was very top-heavy. You didn't see a lot of other relievers. It, it really came down to Montgomery and Evaldi and then using LeClerc and, and Josh Spores. Spores is going to be a household name just because he's he's kind of a maniac. He's kind of crazy. Yeah. Mosh pit. Uh, a really, like I told got, you, he comes into the game and he's pitching. You feel like you're in the middle of a mosh pit. Yeah, love him. Uh, he was. It's good story. And and then the offense. I mean, from top to bottom for the Texas Rangers, it was the number one offensive team in the American League. They they showed it. I mean, what stood out in in Game Seven, CJ, mm-hmm. was I thought I thought the Astros were going to win Game Seven until the second batter of the game. Yeah, I, I think with Christian Javier and and that postseason pedigree, he'd he'd only given up like two runs, and it was on a Josh Young. Uh, like a like a slider later on in the game, but it went it went like three straight games and he'd given up two earned runs. Mm-hmm. Corey Seager hit a homer that landed in the second deck, and it might as well have been an eleven run home run because you could just feel like the energy of the juice box pop, and you could just sense like as as that ball was hit, mm-hmm. and you see Seager coming in that that Rangers dugout was like, Oh crap. We actually can beat these guys. Yeah. We actually can take it to the Houston Astros. And, and like, that was, that was so inflating for, for the Rangers and deflating for the Astros. And then as game seven unfolded, Bruce Bochy, Bruce Bochy outmanaged, outmaneuvered dusty. And it wasn't even fair. I mean, it was not even fair. Dusty made a handful of mistakes. Uh, two of the ones that stood out the most. Pitching to Adolis, second and third, 2-0 count. 
uh, infield in with first base unoccupied was one. And then not going to JP France with a quicker hook. Yeah. When you were willing to go pull Christian Javier after five batters in the first, mm-hmm. I was like, why wouldn't you do the same to JP France? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's what, that's what led to the game being out of hand. So, I mean, kudos to the, to the Rangers, Bochi. They just outplayed and they looked more athletic. They looked yeah. more athletic than the Astros. That's a good point too, because, you know, JP France had pitched earlier uh, in the series and the Rangers didn't get to him, but they had some good swings against him. They had some opportunities. But they couldn't cash them in. And when he came in the game and I'm in my little chat with our broadcasters on the Rangers side, and I was like, they have got to get to France because there was again, good swings last time and all that. And it, it's got to happen here. You got to open it up. Uh, and this is the opportunity. And they did. And they took full advantage of it. Going back to Kyle Tucker real quick. You mentioned that again, he just didn't look right. He looked lost. Uh, you said he looked exhausted. I think it's a really great point. Back-to-back, you know, late October runs for the Houston Astros. This sounds like a huge number, but it's not. It's only 13th in baseball. 1,388 plate appearances combined the last two years for Kyle Tucker, right? And this is when you're going from uh, early February all the way through, or I should say mid-February all the way through October. Add the WBC, the CJ. Add yeah, the WBC. And then, so, I'm, and I bring that up because I saw, as I wanted to look at this list and you brought up that point, I'm like, well, let me go see where that ranks. So he's 13th and you're right. Great point on the WBC. The guy at the very top that you just got to watch for seven games is Marcus Simeon. Marcus Simeon is a modern day Iron Man. He is looking maybe, I don't want to say fatigued, but I know he wasn't swinging the bat. Well, your thoughts on him. So I said 1,388 plate appearances for Tucker the last two years. Marcus Simeon did not play in the postseason last year. 1,535 plate appearances wow. now the last two seasons, the most in baseball. What your thoughts on the idea of either resting guys more, how difficult it is to go back-to-back into the postseason? Uh, what do you make of it? It's Schwarber after him, Alex Bregman, Trey Turner had a rough end of his NLCS. He's a top-four guy, more WBC at-bats on top of that as well, which is an excellent point. What do you make of it? I think it does catch up. I think there's there's got to be some sort of physical toll on a body. I mean, baseball is tough. Uh, and and for the players that go back-to-back postseason, it's tough. Yeah, the the WBC. I, I think it, it there there's got it has to have it may not be the only explanation, but it's part of it. In the case of of Marcus, game five was probably the worst at bats I've seen a player of his caliber take along with Seeger consistently. That that mm-hmm. one game between the two of those guys, they had their first two at bats was was four outs on five pitches. It was it was awful. Yeah. He's always going to be aggressive, but he hadn't changed, I guess, that point, right? He sees something, he's going to get after it. Well, and and it was it was watch like when the Diamondbacks take on the Rangers, notice how many fastballs up Marcus Simeon's going to get. He's going to mm-hmm. get pounded with fastballs up. It's going to be fastball up after fastball up because he's a good low ball hitter. And it was, it was as if he was just like, I'm going to get to it. And he couldn't, I'm going to get pot. It was like pop up to the infield after pop up to the infield. So when Marcus settled down and I, I asked him, you know, especially game seven, I'm on, on the field. It's like, Hey, the last two games for you, so much better. What, what happened? He was like, I just had to, slow it down and look for my pitch. And I was like, there you go. There's, there's, that's, that's the heady pet player that the Texas Rangers want. I think he was just trying to force it, you know, yeah. almost like Nick Castellanos was trying to force it 
with with the Phillies down the stretch. Marcus was just trying to force it, mm-hmm. and you can't. You know the CJ. The game has to come to you. Yeah. The game gives you what it gives. You can't just take it. Nobody's that good. No, it's this isn't basketball. This isn't the NFL. Yeah, you can't just take the ball and do what you want with it. It's not how it works. The offensive yeah. team is current is technically on defense <laughs> because if you're if I, I'm not. I'm defending the strike zone as a hitter and I'm trying to whack it out of there. Like the, the pitcher's technically on offense. You're the one with in control. I don't yeah. have control of the ball. That's a great point too. And it's hard for the guys, right? Especially in the biggest moments to maybe look at it that way because you want to go, 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 go and kind of impose your will on the pitcher. But I think when you get to this point, you start to see a little fatigue uh, easier said than done. Just like a pitcher trying to back off, give me 85%. And you'll still be really good as opposed to just trying to go full bore when maybe it's not all there. Let's stay a little bit more in control uh, if you can. All right. Regarding what we saw here uh, in the postseason, Dusty Baker, some indications from him uh, that he may be done managing. And there's a lot going on on the managerial side. I want to start with him uh, real quick. I was a little bit surprised to see this. I, I It might be about time. I got to tell you, I also got really sad listening to him yesterday as a 74-year-old and who's done so much in this game. He went 51 years in between World Series rings, right? He won one in 81 as a player, and then he wins one in 22 as a manager. I mean, there's just an unbelievable future Hall of Fame career there. But what made me sad was listening to him talk about the time that he's missed. And I mean, it breaks my heart, man, because we're all in this game. We're all doing the traveling. And when you're when you have the uniform on, there are no breaks. Like, I feel like you and I are in position A, right? We're doing games. We got time off or we still get to spend time with our families and, and bring them and get involved. There's not nearly the pressure of performing with the crowds booing against you and everybody, and everybody all everything that comes along with the public scrutiny of putting on a big league uniform or even working in the front office or coaching for that matter. Um, but him saying that, he said something like, you know, I haven't been home since February you know, 2nd or whatever the date was. He's like, anybody else been on the road? You know, whatever it was, 200-something days? Some dummy. I shouldn't say dummy. I don't know who it was. I was like, oh, I've been on the road that long. I'm like, no, no, that was a rhetorical question. Don't answer. You know, he's not looking for a response. But the point there was with him is that it was eating at him. At 74 years old, it was getting to him a little bit. And you mentioned some of the things that happened on the field. It feels like it probably should be time. It's not really our place to tell Dusty Baker when he needs to stop retiring. He is a baseball le- – or stop managing. He's a baseball legend. Um, but the indications, uh, apparently what we're hearing some leaked reports about people close to him is that we may be hearing about a Dusty Baker retirement from managing real soon. And I think that's fine. Uh, I mean, Dusty, Dusty has a connection to Willie Mays and to Jackie Robinson and to Hank Aaron and to the Dodgers and the Reds and, you know, like to a lot. I mean, he invented the high five. Um, so cool. I, I'm not saying I'm not saying that the game is as past Dusty by because it, it, that's certainly not the case. Um, but if if he does decide to retire, I mean, I, I I would. It's it's a hell of a run, and you know I I saw him in the hotel after the game. So after game seven, Dusty was in our in our hotel that we were staying at uh, in Houston with him and his family, and they they had a nice little round table, and uh, Dusty Jr. his son who's in the minor leagues was sitting there and you could uh, like, you could kind of feel like it was a, it was a saying goodbye. You yeah. kind of feel that I could kind of feel that when I was talking to Dusty for a little bit. And I, I think if he does take a break or if he does, you know, he's, he's not, it's not like he's going away. I mean, the, but this is also somebody that has so many different 
businesses outside of baseball from like he's a he has an energy company he does his plants he does he does a bunch of stuff um for him to like we heard with tito francona tito francona said at the best i want to have a second cup of coffee and i want to catch up on lost time and i i think if dusty's at that point is 74 years old i mean how can you not think about um you know the, the inevitability of of the end right like even though you feel like you're going to live forever to spend time with the family because you've accomplished everything there is to accomplish on a on a baseball field he'll he'll be inducted in the hall of fame soon wouldn't you want to spend that time with your family and watch your son in the minor leagues and and run an rv and and do that and if you do want to get back in baseball there's a there's 30 teams that would openly welcome them Dusty yeah. Baker as a, as some sort of advisor or some sort of role. So, yeah. um, if it is the end, I, I kudos, hats off. If it's not the end, I'm looking forward to seeing Dusty next year. Yeah, and so it feels like that job is going to open it up, and that would make a fifth opening. Why I say a fifth opening and not a sixth, uh, because one of the openings, well, I guess it would be five regardless, because it's basically a trade off here. But the rumblings about uh, Bob Melvin. Well, first of all, a month ago we're told. Bob Melvin, A.J. Preller are back. All these rumors about things not working out and dysfunction, just they're not true. Everything's fine. He's going to be back. A couple of days ago, we started hearing about, well, you know what? The Padres have given the Giants permission uh, to talk to Bob Melvin. At that point, we know Bob Melvin's gone. There's no way he's going back if you're allowing a team within your division uh, with great resources to take your manager, even talk to your manager. That, to me, seems crazy. They did it. It became official. The Giants announced it today. Bob Melvin is the new manager of the San Francisco Giants back to the Bay Area, a Berkeley guy, spent 10 seasons, of course, in the big leagues, has been a manager and a coach now for a really long time, highly respected. This is wild to me, absolutely wild that the Padres would allow this to happen. Uh, and looking at kind of both sides of this, a great opportunity for the San Francisco Giants of all the things they talked about when looking for a new manager, uh, something in there about the ability to recruit free agents seemed to be really important. Uh, Bob Melvin will give you that and more uh, thoughts here on Bob Melvin now as the new manager of the San Francisco Giants leaving the Padres. I mean, it reminds me of, uh, you know, like a mutual breakup. <laughs> uh, you know, like it, it did feel like it did feel like there was it wasn't right in San Diego. Um, you know, I don't know enough behind closed doors to be able to pinpoint something, whether it was, you know, front office didn't like you know, the manager or whatever, I don't know. Uh, we can speculate, but it didn't feel right. And so when, when the Padres allowed this to open the door up and you got to remember the history between Farhan and Bob Melvin, Melvin managed for Farhan for many, many years, uh, when he was in Oakland too. So, uh, Farhan, that was the, the uh, initial connection before Farhan moved to the Dodgers and then the Dodgers to the Giants. So, uh, I think this this gives Farhan somebody that he knows. I also don't know if, you know, what the optics were with Kapler. I don't. I also don't know what the optics with the with the clubhouse with this coaching staff because the Giants have the largest coaching staff in Major League Baseball. I like to That's say changing. it's the most. Yeah, it's the most eclectic group. I mean, it, it's there's there's so many different people and styles and and. I think it's really neat. I, I just don't know how much Bob Melvin retains. I hope he retains some, uh, if not all, but I'm also not in charge of that of that group. So if you want to remove what Kapler left there, that's fine by me. Uh, it, it's just kind of a, it's a strange little scenario. 
But at the same time, it makes perfect sense from the Giants' standpoint. And now the question becomes, who becomes the Padres' manager? And I was talking with Jim Bowden. Mm -hmm. Jim Bowden has the perfect manager for the San Diego Padres. It's Alex Cora. Alex Cora has relationships and, and has a connection. Hear me out. All right. Has a has a connection with Xander Bogarts, and you know this is a a very kind of Latin uh, Padres core group, which Cora has been able to connect with very very well, exceptionally well. The Padres have announced their GM and Craig Breslow, um, and so we know that that's now changed, right? So you have yeah. a brand new general manager. I mean, the Red Sox are having a. Uh, sounds like Breslow's yeah, coming yes, in. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Bre- Breslow looks like he's coming in, former pitcher. So Breslow and Cora. It might be where Breslow is willing to trade or the Padres might call and say, hey, are you interested in in trading Alex Cora to the Padres? Because Cora could bring some stability to that clubhouse. It's a thought. Yeah. Guess it's who a says pretty no. decent thought. The owners love him. I mean, they stood by him through all that and brought him right back. He's their guy. They love him. I get what you're saying. And, they're, you know, when you first started saying it, I was going to say, I'm not going to allow you to hang out with Jim Bowden anymore, even though I'm not your parent. I'll still allow it. Um, because there is some validity to that. Um, but if you need somebody like that, then perhaps Joe Espada is your guy. If you feel like it's important to have a Latin manager based on the way your roster is built, and I have no problem with that thought whatsoever. You 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 build your team, uh, like as an example, I think you, you add the kind of pitchers that match your defense the best you can, right? Uh, you bring the kind of leader that matches the current state of your club. And so I have zero issues with that thought at all, and it certainly does make some sense. Um, but you got to make sure you get the right guy. I just don't see the Boston Red Sox agreeing to that. Um, but there is definitely the, the thought behind it, at least, uh, certainly some validity. But I got to believe for Alex Gordon, unless he's a little fed up. You never know, right? There's something going on there in Boston that you, does make you wonder just a little bit why we're good candidates, you know, either declining interviews or withdrawing their name from, from consideration for a front office gig. And it, whatever that frustration level is or the reputation that was making that happen, has any of that trickled down to? Alex Cora. That would be a big loss for them. Uh, no two ways about it. And there would have to be compensation going back the other way. It sounds like no compensation for Bob Melvin uh, for the San Diego Padres. And again, I know you said, like, I get it. Like, hey, it's just, we'll agree to kind of just go ahead and end this thing. But that's like, uh, I know, it's like you dating a girl in high school, Spill, and she goes and starts hanging out with the center fielder from your rival high school. It's crazy to me. Like, that. would anybody be okay with that? It's one thing you want to go down, you know, hey, you're moving anyway and changing states. Go ahead, knock yourself out. Uh, but you're staying in the division, a team of resources that's going to be coming after you next year that knows your roster really intimately. That is shocking to me um, that they let that happen. So anyway, um, that'll be, uh, be good stuff to watch the rest of the way. Right now, as we know, the Angels, the Astros, the Guardians, the Mets, and now the Padres. I shouldn't say the Astros. I'm sorry. I'm jumping the gun there a little bit. The Angels, Guardians, Mets, and Padres all have openings. Feels like perhaps the Astros will have one. Perhaps we will see the Milwaukee Brewers uh, having one. Still the Craig Council part of this. I don't think we'll hear about that until after uh, the World Series. But, you know, that's the other thing. Craig Council to the Padres or the Astros becomes very interesting um, to me as well. If they're willing to pay, right? It's about getting paid. Now that the Giants are off the table, uh, that certainly changes some things for 
uh, Craig Council and uh, some of his options because that's what you want. All the teams with the big money in on you, we know the Mets are, of course. So going to get interesting the rest of the way. World Series starts on Friday. Uh, Spilly will have the call uh, internationally. I'm headed to games uh, one and two right now, game four as well, and probably uh, will show up at a few more. It's Let's an get some brisket, buddy. We are get all the beef. We'll get you that uh, that 50-pound, uh, excuse me, not 50-pound, 50 $50 two-pound uh, rib. One and a half to two pounds they have there at the ballpark. Uh, everything you could think about uh, and more. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Negative War Positive Vibes uh, podcast. World Series starts Friday. Cannot wait, uh, and we will be with you. Make sure you check out all of our coverage on MLB Network Radio, the pregame show, uh, the shows leading up to the pregame show, and then, of course, all the coverage uh, as well. So good stuff there, Spilly. Uh, as always, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time.